Hi, I'm Adam Sanford. I'm an academic life coach and professor in Los Angeles. And I'm Dinur Bloom. I'm a college professor in Los Angeles. And this is Learning Made Easier, a podcast where we discuss how we learn and how we teach and how they overlap. This is episode 131, Responses You Can Make to Difficult People. In the first episode of our Dealing with Difficult People series, we talked about actions you can take to reduce the negative effects of a difficult person in your life. In this second episode, we'll talk about how you can respond to difficult people once they're already talking or moving or otherwise doing things that get on your nerves. Note we said respond, not react. A response is level-headed and done deliberately, not in the moment or out of stress. So responses you can make when a difficult person becomes more difficult or when you have to respond rather than take preemptive action include, first, control your temper. This can be really difficult, but learning how to keep your cool when someone's going off in front of you can be a really good tool to have in your toolbox. My husband and I have a rule, if we start getting in a fight, only one person gets to be a jerk at any one time. So let the other person be the jerk. Make it a rule for yourself that only one person gets to be out of control at a time. So holding on to your temper will both benefit you and give you the upper hand in the conversation. Control your enthusiasm. If you show emotion, positive or negative, it acts kinda like fuel for the difficult person's fire. Staying calm, cool, and collected will usually make it harder for them to continue to be aggressive or loud. Now, this one I admit is tough for me, but slow down your rate of speech. Don't get too soft or too loud. Just slow down. If you talk faster, they'll talk faster as well and probably louder. And then you lose control of the conversation. But if you slow down, it makes them slow down and calm down. Use active listening strategies, including clarifying, paraphrasing, reflection, summarizing, and paying attention to those nonverbal cues. To clarify, ask about things you're not sure you understand. Something like, I think what you mean is you're frustrated about how long it takes us to get through a meeting. Is that right? Or did I misunderstand? Let them explain what they mean or what they're feeling. To paraphrase, take what they said, and say it back to them in your own words. If they say, for example, I hate this group because nobody ever gets back to me, you might say, it sounds like you'd really appreciate better communication from everyone and more often than we've been reaching out. Is that right? To reflect, paraphrase, and, if possible, validate their feelings. Again, if they say, I hate this group because no one ever gets back to me, you could say something like, I hear you're really frustrated and angry. I get it. I would be too. What would help you feel more like we were hearing you? Or simply go into paraphrasing and suggest that your group do better at communicating. To summarize, listen for the themes or the main points of what they're saying. So if they've just delivered a rant about how much work they're doing, how they feel like nobody's getting back to them, and how the whole project is pointless, you could summarize this way. It sounds like we all need to do better at making sure everyone's doing their part of the project and we need to work on better communication too. Does that sound right? Finally, pay attention to the nonverbals, like their facial expressions, tone of voice, and body language. 
There are numerous sites on the web about how to read and interpret body language. Here's a few items from them. Note, to get the full meaning of body language, you need to include the context of what else is going on, what you're talking about, or what the problem is. For starters, eye behavior. If a person is not making eye contact, there could be several reasons why. They may be bored or disinterested. They may also be lying about how they feel, or they may feel intimidated. And this last one is especially common if the person is neurodiverse, meaning autistic, or they have ADHD. If they look down, they may feel nervous or anxious. The eyes can also tell us if someone is connecting with us or not. If a person focuses on something or someone they're interested in, their pupils will dilate. They'll get bigger. This is not something they have any physical control over, so it's a good tell to find out if they're connected to your conversation or if they're just humoring you until you shut up. If their blinking rate increases, this may indicate either stress or dishonesty, but always assume stress until you have other proof that they're being dishonest. Facial expressions. The mouth is a big speaker of how a person is feeling, and not just verbally. If they have a genuine smile on their face, which involves the entire face, they're probably interested in what's going on. If the smile only appears on the mouth, it might be forced or fake. If the smile is only on one side of the mouth, it could mean the person is uncertain or that they're being sarcastic. If they're pursing their lips, meaning they're pressing their lips together, the person's probably not in a good mood, but that may also indicate that they're thinking deeply about something. To figure this out, you'll probably need to call on other cues as well as what's going on with their face. Now, proximity is another thing. How close or far we get from one another is really culturally bound. But if you know the cultural expectation a person's working with, then proximity can often give you a clue or two about how they're feeling. In Western culture, we tend to like our personal space. But even so, when someone sits closer or stands closer than normal, usually that means they're feeling connected and interested. This is, of course, not true if they are also coming across as aggressive while standing or sitting closer. In that case, it's probably intended to be intimidating. If they seem to be backing up or moving away, on the other hand, they may feel uncomfortable, they may feel irritated, or they simply don't feel the connection. Mirroring. This is a more advanced technique. A person who imitates or copies emotion you make is probably trying to create connection, and you can do the same thing by mirroring their actions. If they clasp their hands together, wait 10 seconds or so and then clasp your hands in the same way. If they take a sip of their coffee, sip yours after a couple of breaths. Also, try clasping your hands, crossing your ankles, or putting your elbow on the table and see if they mirror you. If they do, they're probably trying to create connection, even if they don't consciously realize they're doing it. Now, when it comes to head movement and head posture, watch for the nods. If they're slow, the person is interested and they want you to keep on telling them more. But if they speed up their nods, they're getting impatient and they want to turn to talk. If they tilt their head to one side, it means they're interested in what you're saying. But if they tilt it backward, then they might feel suspicious or maybe uncertain. You might even see people pointing at others by tilting their heads toward them. Feet. Watch where their feet are pointing. If they're pointed at you, that probably means they have a good opinion of you. But if they're pointed at the door, they're probably thinking on some level that they want to leave. And if their feet are pointed towards someone else, they'd probably rather be talking to that person, which is a possible cue to hand over the meeting to that person instead. Now let's talk about hand signals. 
When a person puts their hands in their pockets or on their head, they're probably nervous. Sometimes this is because they're being dishonest, but again, do not depend just on body language for this. Make sure you know they're being dishonest through other evidence too. People also often point at other people without realizing it, so watch who they're pointing at and you'll see who they already feel a connection with. If they're leaning their head on one hand with an elbow on the table to support their head, they're trying to focus on what you're saying. But if they're leaning on both elbows, they're likely bored of the conversation. If a person holds up something like a pad of paper or a book between themselves and another person, that actually indicates they're trying to put up a barrier between themselves and that person. Finally, check out their arms. If a person has their arms crossed, it usually means they're not ready to listen or that they're feeling defensive. They might also be anxious or feeling overly exposed. Arms by themselves can be really misleading, so make sure you also check out their face. Are they actually smiling? And the rest of their body, is it relaxed or tense? If the rest of their body is relaxed and pleasant, their crossed arms might just mean they're cold. If they put their hands on their hips, it's almost always an expression of, I want to be in charge here. And surprisingly, you'll see this more from men than from women. Now, this is a lot to take in if you've never really noticed body language. But you also want to make sure you're keeping an eye on your own as well. Keep your face calm, your body posture is opened, no crossed legs, no crossed arms, and your tone of voice level and audible without being loud. Now, apart from checking out their body language, there are still other responses you can make. For example, Use humor. Even when difficult people are difficult, they're rarely intending to be. And it's not often that their difficultness is central to their personality. Humor can go a long way toward breaking the tension and getting everyone back on the same page. Take notes while they are holding forth or venting. Write down questions they ask, demands they make, and look for patterns and themes in what they're saying, too, because this can be a part of active listening as well. Take a moment to consider. Say you're doing that. Give me a minute to think about what you've said. I want to make sure I understand before I say anything else. This allows a pause in the interaction, which can help you take a deep breath or two, and then respond to what they've said. Also, spell out what their actions are doing to you or others. For example, Bob, I know you may not realize it, but your voice keeps getting louder and louder, and it's really intimidating when that happens. We'd all appreciate it if you could work on not doing that. Is that possible? Pick your battles. Sometimes it doesn't matter who knocked over the trash can. It just matters that the mess gets addressed. Don't try to fight over every little thing they do. Letting them be right sometimes and letting it go often work better than engaging in battle over it. Finally, and this can be tough, let them be right. Whenever possible, agree with them. This makes it possible for you to become the good guy in their eyes, and that makes it more likely they'll want to work with you to meet their goals. Now, when it comes to our experiences with it, I fully admit I am a reactor, not a responder. It's hard for me to not react because I get really tense around people whom I perceive as difficult. I've had to learn and actively use the active listening strategies that we've listed here with students and with colleagues in order to get productive conversation to address the problem. Learning body language and other nonverbals has really been difficult for me because I'm autistic and most of that just flies right over my head. But these tools can really help if you learn how to use them. Now, for me, my personal experience refereeing recreational sports comes in really handy with dealing with difficult people in difficult moments because 
sometimes you have to call a penalty and a player very rarely appreciates that, especially if they're being really competitive. But if I can explain calmly and say, here's what I saw and here's why I made this call to someone who's that angry, then I know that as a teacher, I can explain a disappointing grade to a student. I can deal with these difficult interactions because even though we're dealing with different dynamics, being able to resolve that conflict quickly and peaceably goes a really, really, really long way. And most of the time, whether you're talking about difficult players, difficult students, difficult customers, difficult clients, after the initial wave of anger passes, people are usually more willing to listen. They want to kind of blow off some steam. If you're in charge or you happen to be there, sometimes you end up taking it, justified or not. But after that initial wave of anger is off their chest, they're usually more willing to listen. So that's what we have for you in episode 131. If you're finding this podcast helpful, please share it with your friends. We're always hoping to get new subscribers so we can help more people. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Android. We're hosted on Blueberry.com. Also, we would really appreciate it if you wrote a review of this podcast on Apple Podcasts. And be sure to join us next week for episode 132, when we'll talk about internal shifts that can also help you deal with difficult people. You've been listening to Learning Made Easier, a podcast about how we learn, how we teach, and how they overlap. We want to say thank you to all of our supporters on Patreon who make this podcast possible. If you want to support us, please go to www.patreon.com slash learningmadeeasier. We look forward to seeing you next week.